0: Great to see you all this morning. Um, Also wanted to uh, let you know that we, uh, we need to pray together. We need to pray. We need to do a lot of praying these days, don't we? Getting on our knees and on our face before the Lord. So if you'll join me this morning, let's pray together. Father, we come to you with thanksgiving to be able to gather here together today. And those who are online, Lord, to gather with us as we worship you and praise you for all that you are and all that you've done for us. And, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray, too, Lord, that the words of your Scripture would jump off the page and would sink deep into our hearts, Lord, as we look to you, for you to speak to us in a very personal and a very powerful way. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, I'm hesitant to even ask this question, but have you all been listening to the news lately? I mean, there's a lot of bad news out there, right? We are definitely living in unprecedented times. 2020 is going to go down in our history as one of the most confusing years in the history of man there's so much confusion over the virus right I mean we go from wearing masks to not wearing masks to social distancing not social distancing shutting down businesses opening them back up and I'm not trying to make light of this but it just seems like there's a lot of confusion in our midst and what about the confusion on the streets Wow. I mean, we're seeing protests. That's okay. But riots, looting, buildings on fire, people getting hurt, people dying. But when you stop to think about it, there's been confusion ever since the beginning of time. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. They were confused when the serpent wrapped his slithering body around their minds. And Jonah, Jonah was confused as to why the Lord sent him to deliver those ungodly Ninevites. And then there's God's chosen people. They seem to be confused for centuries concerning the purpose of the law. They seem to miss the point that it wasn't their perfect performance in law-keeping. It was to worship a perfect God one of the reasons of their confusion was because of their religious leaders and teachers. Their priests were teaching that acceptance with God was based on their law-keeping and their good merit. And that confusion continued on into the first century A.D. with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin. And then after Christ was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead the church was spread all around the mediterranean but it wasn't long before the confusion set in it wasn't long before it raised its ugly head in the early church in fact in paul's second letter to timothy he gave him the solemn warning he said that men will accumulate to themselves teachers according to their own desires turning their way their head their ears away from the truth and turning aside To myth. What was true then, sadly to say, is true now. And it makes me righteously angry to see how the gospel of Jesus Christ has been so wrongly presented in our world. People are believing a lot of false ideas. And it's been creeping into the church ever since the first century. And I thank God for this body, where the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, is preserved in our hearts. Today there's an incredible amount of confusion over how a good man gets into heaven. Just was it, What does it take for a good man to get into heaven anyway? I know this is going to come to a shock, as a shock to you, but I'm not really an expert on how a good man gets into heaven. But I know someone who is, and his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> so this morning, let's let Jesus tell us how a good man can get into heaven, shall we? In order to tap into Jesus' experience on this subject, we'll have to look into the life of someone that Jesus met this morning I want to introduce you to a man he was an older gentleman perhaps in his silver years like some of us I mean some of y'all out there he was a man among men in fact he was head and shoulders above all the rest he was a man of wealth and prominence everyone in Jerusalem knew his name He was also at the top of the spiritual pile when it came to his religion. After all, he was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. In fact, this man had been studying the scriptures for decades. And you know what? He'd even memorized the entire Old Testament. Wow. Try that one on for size. Every day you could find him at the synagogue teaching the up-and-coming priests. In fact, he had taught hundreds of priests who were scattered all throughout Israel and all around the Mediterranean in the synagogues. As a Pharisee, he was also very strict at keeping that law. He was known on the streets of Jerusalem as one who kept every jot and tittle. He was also a ruler of the Jews, a member of the elite Sanhedrin. Ooh, These men were like our Supreme Court justices. All the members of Samhedrin were either priests, had been priests, or were related to priests. He was not only a strict follower of the law, he was a strict enforcer of the law. Yeah. If I was to speculate, I'd say that this guy might have felt quite self-important and self-righteous among his peers. I can picture him looking all humble after his long day in the synagogue as he walked home on cobblestone streets in Jerusalem, looking down on the commoners. It was later that evening, when it was well into the dark of night, we find him sneaking out of his house, very stealth and under the cover of darkness. He walked down the back alleys to where Jesus was staying, you know, over there on the other side of the tracks. But he just had to go see this man. He and the other religious leaders in Jerusalem had heard much about Jesus. They'd heard some of his teaching, and they'd seen some of his miracles. But they'd never seen a display like that one in the temple that day. They'd never heard words spoken with such power and authority as Jesus turned the tables and dashed everybody out of the temple courts. Maybe it was this man who asked Jesus, So, what sign do you give as one with authority? This man had to see Jesus. After all, he'd likely been elected by his peers to find out who this Jesus was. This man didn't know it, but he was getting ready to gaze into the eyes of his creator. He's going to go have a conversation of a lifetime with the one who created language. The very Word of God in human form. And he had no idea that the religious table of his strict obedience was about to be toppled. He was about to realize just how bankrupt his goodness was. And in his conversation with Jesus, He was going to realize that all those Old Testament scriptures that he had memorized had never taken an 18-inch trip from his head to his heart. Would you like to listen in on this man's conversation, this man's dialogue with the divine? I would. Would you like to find out how a good man gets into heaven? I would. Then why don't we just eavesdrop into this conversation in John chapter 3. If you have your New Testament, or your tablet or phone or however you use, or just look on the screen with us, let's look at John chapter 3, starting verse 1 and 2. The Apostle John writes by the Holy Spirit, Now there was a man of the Pharisees called Nicodemus, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs unless, uh, that you do unless God is with him. So he recognized some things about Jesus, didn't he? Some very important things. And we already know his credentials, but he recognizes that Jesus had come from God. Well, that's good, Nick. He also recognized that Jesus' teaching was pretty profound. And then it also says that he agreed that some of his signs were miraculous. And although Jesus heard what Nicodemus was saying, he didn't respond to those comments. That's pretty much characteristic of the way Jesus did things, right? Sometimes he didn't answer your question. He went to the heart of the matter, and that's exactly what he did with Nick. He cuts right to the chase, going right into his heart. Jesus responds to him with some of the most profound words that have ever fallen from the lips of man. Did you hear that? Some of the most profound words that have ever fallen from the lips of a man. And think about it. Hasn't God God spoken many profound words that have rattled our cages? Words that have left us speechless? Words that have stopped us cold in our tracks? Words like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or how about this one? Let us make man in our image. Wow. Or, I am the resurrection and the life. And now, in verse 3, Jesus gives Nick this whopper. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nick, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus does his introduction as he meets this man by giving him two words that absolutely blow him out of the saddle. Truly, truly. Those words actually mean absolute truth, absolute truth. I think what Jesus did is he looked him in one eye and said absolute truth and the other eye absolute truth. Staring right through his soul. Then Jesus introduces Nick to a va- brand new vocabulary when he says you must be born again. These two words, born again shook him To his core. These two words mean that Nick's first birth wasn't enough. He needs a second birth. Nick has believed his entire life that his lineage as a Jew, one of God's chosen people, was his guarantee that God was his heavenly father. And now he's hearing that he needs another birth in order to see God's kingdom. Nick is undone. He's just not understanding Jesus at all here. So he asks him for some clarification in verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Nick's not making the spiritual connection here, is he? He's connecting the dots of his physical birth, not the spiritual birth that Jesus is trying to lead him to. He's thinking of being born in the physical womb of his mother, on earth, rather than being born from his the spiritual womb of the God in heaven. So what does Jesus do? <laughs> he takes him back to the time when he was a lad, when Nick's dad sat him down for the talk. You know, the birds and the bees. Yeah, Jesus is hoping that this will help Nick make the connection between the physical and the spiritual birth. Jesus begins this lesson in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nick, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you notice that this time, rather than Jesus saying, Nick, if you're not born again, you won't see the kingdom, this time he says, you will not enter the kingdom. And notice also that Jesus is using this physical and spiritual to help Nick connect these dots together. Unless one is born of the water and born of the spirit, Jesus sheds more light on the water that's in verse 5 and and he connects it with the flesh in verse 6. This is not talking about water baptism. This is talking about when a mother is going to give birth and her water breaks, and a physical baby comes forth. That's a one-time happening in that baby's life. You can't undo a physical birth. It's true in the, in the spiritual as well. When you're born spiritually, you can't undo spiritual birth. It's a one-time thing that happens. It's impossible, as Nicodemus is asking that question, how can I go back into my mother's womb? It's impossible to do that, right? It's also impossible to go back into the womb of God. You can't go back into his womb. He's already birthed you. That will never be reversed. You're secure in that. Amen? That's his security for us. We know no matter what happens in this world, we're secure. We're safe. He's brought us to his heart, to himself. He's never going to let us go. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. You just can't be unbirthed spiritually. Anybody who has been born again can never be unborn again. In verse 7 and 8, Jesus continues in his attempt to answer Nick's question. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born in the Spirit. Jesus, again, using nature as he always does, it seems, as another metaphor for what is happening in the spiritual realm. In other words... You can hear the evidence of the wind blowing, but you can't see it. In the same way, you can sense the evidence of the Spirit of God in you, but you can't see Him. And now, after Jesus explains to Nick his need for a second birth, Nick is still searching. He's still wondering Are you searching today? Are you wondering? You and the audience out there on the Internet, are you searching? Are you wondering? It's interesting where Nick goes with this now. Look at verse 9. He asked Jesus, how can these things be? This man who has memorized the Old Testament, taught it his whole life, he's in a conundrum. He hadn't been able to follow the dots and connect them. He's probably thinking to himself, come on, Jesus, I'm a Jew. I'm one of God's chosen people, one of his children. Besides, I'm not just a Jew. I've been studying the scrolls ever since I was at my father's knee. I'm one of the highest-ranking Pharisees and Sanhedrin in all Israel. I'm a teacher of teachers, helping others... Dot every spiritual dot and cross every spiritual T. How can you keep saying to me that I must be born again? In the midst of Nick's confusion and frustration, in John chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, and there it is again, truly, truly, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you don't accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Notice what he says. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven... The Son of Man. Looking him right in the eye, staring him down. Jesus calls Nicodemus, notice in verse 10, the teacher. That's not a mistake in the Greek, it's very exclusive. Nicodemus is the top teacher in all of Israel. If you want a Bible answer, man, you go to Nick. If you want to know what verse and Chapter and verses, go to Nick. He's got it all in here. But this teacher should have understood from the Old Testament what Jesus was talking about. It's repeated several times in the Old Testament about the spiritual birth. And he'd never, ever gotten it because he couldn't see the forest for the trees. This teacher is getting schooled by the greatest teacher who's ever walked this earth. And I'm pretty sure it's dawned on him, (laughs) he's got a lot to learn. Because he's not getting it yet. So what does Jesus do now? He has to lead him down some dusty desert road of Old Testament history. He has to connect some Old Testament history to Nicodemus so that he can finally, hopefully, get him to understand what he's trying to tell him. He takes him back to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Look at verse 14 and 15 here in John 3. He says, As Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Jesus takes Nicodemus back to this very familiar story. The story of the Jews, the Israelites, Grumbling and complaining in the desert. Why are they complaining? Because they've lost patience with God. They've lost patience with Moses. And they're complaining because the food that they're eating is not good enough. Whoa, I wouldn't want to tell God that. They had lost their patience, but the Lord decided, Okay, you're not going to have any patience with me. I'm going to send serpents into your camp. Poisonous serpents, by the way. And many of these Israelites were bitten and died. So they finally repent of their sin, and they come to God, and they ask him for forgiveness. And then they go to Moses and pray, Moses, please pray for us. And then finally the Lord tells Moses, get a staff and fashion a brass serpent and put it on the top of that staff. And then he told him, when the people are bitten now, if they'll just glance over and look at that staff, look at that serpent on the top of the staff, they will be saved from the snake bite. They won't die, they'll live. He's trying to paint a picture for Nicodemus of the, and connecting the dots here with Jesus on the cross. Well, you know, knowing the Old Testament scrolls like Nick did, I'm sure this very familiar image of a serpent was deep in his mind. Here Jesus is really doing his best to connect the cross with the serpent on the stick. For those of of us who know this story and have read this story and have heard this story, this is old news to us, but not to this man. He was hearing this for the very first time. And I believe Jesus was doing something very incredible inside Nicodemus. I think he was causing a deep yearning and a hunger to know how to be born again. Think about his responses each time Jesus has brought up this born-again idea. He questions how an old man can be born a second time. He asks about going back into his mother's womb and being born. And the final question he asks is, how can these things be? These questions are tormenting him. They're just gnawing at him. And Jesus' answers are causing him to examine his entire life and all the years of his ministry. And now Jesus has him right where he wants him. He has been salting Nicodemus' mouth with this second birth stuff. And he has him thirsting for the answer. Jesus has him leaning in now. Nick has his ears on like he's never had them on before. And now he's set up to hear the final answer of that gnawing question in his heart. And now Jesus delivers the answer to how to be born again. Jesus gives him the ultimate answer to everyone's gnawing question. It's the answer to the question of man's greatest fear. And what's the one thing men and women fear the most? Spiders. Well, of course not. What men and women fear most is death. Yeah. Death. Death and then what? Reed and I and our families have just gone through three weeks of watching three week three people in our family leave this planet. Death is real. My 96-year-old mother went to be with the Lord on June the 12th. This past Monday, Rita's father-like uncle went to be with the Lord. And this past Wednesday, my 34-year-old nephew passed on and met his Savior in heaven. Death is a reality. Death is something that is so certain, no one has ever been able to avoid it. And now, Jesus answers Nicodemus' question. In fact, he answers all our questions. How can I be born again? How can I receive this new life that Jesus has been speaking of? Notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 14 and 15. He says, even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Here's his answer to life's most important question. He puts the answer on the lowest spiritual shelf. Why? So that whoever comes to him and whoever believes in this message can have as their present possession eternal life as their very own. He's finally answered Nick's gnawing question, and ours. But rather than assume that Nick understands, because Nick hadn't been very understanding yet, Jesus gives him a much fuller answer in verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, no, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3.16 is the most concise and yet the most comprehensive gospel message in all the Bible. It's known the world over. It's a go-to verse when one thinks about the good news of Jesus Christ. You'll find it in your Bible. You'll find it on church signs. You'll find it in greeting cards. You'll find it on highway billboards. On Sunday afternoon, you'll find it in between the goalposts. <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. But has this truth found its way into Nick's heart? Has it found its way into yours? Or yours? Has it? I want us to take a closer look at verse 16. This gospel message. Let's break it down a little bit. Let's take it a phrase at a time. For God, the creator of the heaven and the earth, the creator of you and the creator of me. He so loved. 1 John 4 8 says that God is love. That's his very nature. That's who he is. He can't be other than who he is. It just comes naturally to him. Love is what he does. He can't help himself. The world, that's everyone across the globe. Everyone whom he's created on this earth. That he gave. Because God is love, and love is a verb, he gives. And he gives freely, with no strings attached. His only begotten Son, he not only gives out of his love... But he offers us his very, very best, his one and only Son. That whoever believes in him, his Son has been given for you, but you need to believe in him so that you may, the next phrase, you shall not perish if you believe in him. If you believe in him, you won't suffer the second death. You'll not be separated from God for all eternity and from people. And then, but have. This word have is so important for us. Have is a present possessive verb. A present possessive verb. As believers, we need to understand this. As unbelievers, you need to understand this. Once you believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior and the Son of God, you take possession of eternal life. That is yours. You have it. You have Him who is eternal life. That's your possession. And you're His possession. And then the words eternal life. There's a lot of misunderstanding about eternal life these days. A lot of people believe that eternal life is something that they're waiting to get someday when they die. No. Once we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we are born again, and Jesus' Spirit is given to us to live in us. And because His life is an eternal life, we have eternal life living in us the millisecond that we believe. Eternal life isn't something we're going to get when we die. Eternal life is now. For all who believe. If you've believed you're already living eternally because the eternal one lives in you. I don't know about you but John 3:16, wow, thank you Jesus. This verse is so powerful for us. And now look at verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already by himself. When we don't believe, we're judging ourselves, basically. Basically because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When you shake your fist in Jesus' face and say, I don't want that gift, you've just judged yourself. You'll be lost forevermore. These verses are basically saying that if we have believed in Jesus Christ, God's Son, we will have eternal life. But if we don't believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, we will face His judgment for rejecting His free gift. Another way we could say this Is if you're born once, physically, you'll die twice, physically and spiritually. But if you're born twice, physically and spiritually, you'll only die once physically. You could say it this way born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. That's guaranteed. That's a guarantee, folks. Well, now that Jesus has answered our question about living forever, answered Nick's question about living forever, what's the final answer to this question, how does a good man get into heaven? (laughs) I think Jesus has thoroughly answered that question, don't you? As Nicodemus found out, you can't get into heaven depending on your good lineage, your good name, your good morals your good works, your Bible knowledge, or any other merit badge you bring to the table. Jesus made it crystal clear how we can get into heaven by being born again, by being born from above, by being born twice, by being born of the Spirit of God, by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It's his merit badge we must depend on. It's then and only then that you and I will have his eternal life living in us. Amen? Amen. What a message. What a hope. What a God. What a Jesus. It makes my eyes sweat all the time. your eyes ever sweat over the gospel yeah it's good news and this good news brings us this morning to the tables we have three tables up front here two on the side and one here in the center we have elements as we worship together in communion and as we remember Jesus's body being broken for us and his blood being shed for us these little packets down here are individual packets If you'll grab one and take it back to your seat when I give you permission to get up, then take it back to your seat, and there's a real thin layer on top. There's two different tabs you have to pull. There's a real thin, clear layer. You pull that one back, and there's a wafer underneath. If you'll wait, we'll receive communion together. And then after you take the wafer, you can peel back the second and have the juice. So, would you gather down around the tables now and grab you one, and we'll, uh, we'll worship the Lord in communion together. It's hard to find that first. I love you, brother. He's you such a good man. we saw a picture this morning. We saw this picture of a serpent on top of a staff. And then we also saw this picture of a Christ on a cross. Jesus hung between heaven and earth. His feet were not touching the ground. He was bridging the gap between our Father in heaven and us here on earth. So this morning, I invite you to remember His broken body that was between heaven and earth. Lift up this bread and put it on your tongue and thank Him for His sacrifice. And in the same way, As his body had been broken, hanging there on the tree, his blood spilling all over the ground. Again, bridging that gap between heaven and earth, between God and mankind. And Jesus, hanging between heaven and earth, spilled his blood for us. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we come before you with hearts that are swelling, hearts that are full of your spirit, full of your love. And Father, today we thank you. We thank you once again for this gospel. And may this gospel go out to all the world, Lord, through churches all over this planet. And may people come to realize that That they need to be born again. And it's only through the blood of your Son, the cross of Christ, where they can find their sins forgiven and open arms of God to receive them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.